Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. On board, so please keep that in your mind if you're thinking about it and your prayers as we would need your wisdom and your guidance as we go forward and employ in five new people. And then finally, this one might seem a little bit in the distance, but our Tabar conference is coming up on Saturday, the 23rd of September. And this is an annual thing for us now. I think this might be our fifth time in running a Tabar um, gathering like this. And so, um, there's countless Debar churches who feel connected to the Debar network that will be gathering, and um, we just want to throw that open wide to you, our church family. So it's going to be on Saturday the 23rd. It'll be a whole day, I think, sort of from 9 in the morning to or, um, late afternoon, about 4 p.m. Um, it's £25 for a ticket. That does include your lunch, all your teas, coffees, and hospitality throughout the day. And we have two really cracking speakers coming this year. We have Pete Gregg and Charlotte Kern. So I know that you'll be blessed by what they have to bring. So um, tickets are now on sale for that. You can get them by going to the homepage of our website or if I had church suite you can get the tickets that way um, if you're not gonna buy your ticket yet we just encourage you to put the date in your diary and um, yeah try to be there it's always a really great day and as I said in the first service if 25 pounds is an issue for you it's not an issue for us we will figure something out just come and talk to us we would love to have you there um, either way but yeah let's save the date let's get our tickets bought for the Debar um, gathering that would be great that's all of our announcements Phil come on ahead and we will prayer for you as you get started. I obviously have had the privilege of hearing Phil's talk already this morning, so I hope you are ready for a challenge to be transformed and changed and challenged by um, this word. So yeah, let's pray for Phil. Yeah, God, thank you for Phil. God, thank you for the father of this house and how he leads and how he's found often in the quiet place with you, seeking your face and, and your heart. God, thank you for the fresh deposit that you've put in his soul for today, God, and just for your now word. God, we thank you for that. We just pray a fresh anointing on him right now to, to go again after already having done it. God, we just pray fresh energy and fresh anointing and a flow over him right now. And we open up our hearts and we posture ourselves to hear from your word, to be changed and transformed by it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Amen. Thanks, Tash. Thanks so much. I said to Tash earlier on that um, if we had all the interns last week, we have the oldies this week. So um, there we go. So, Tash. And I have worked together a long time. So, and we haven't fallen out yet, sure, haven't Tash? Mm. Yeah, good. Okay, I'm sure it's lovely to be with you this morning. I was actually thinking during communion this morning, the last time that I had communion with a body of people was at the Garden Tomb. Some of you that are here this morning were there, and uh, with such a lovely time, just remember the Lord in that garden where um, the place of the skull is, and of course, the uh, the, the garden tomb. It was beautiful. Um, so yeah, it's lovely. I've been further here and everywhere in Israel. I've been preaching in different places, but it's lovely to be home. It's lovely to see all my family and all your wee faces. You're lovely. So mm. um, <clears throat> no place like home. Well, as you've probably detected, we're beginning a new series um, this morning. And uh, Studies in the letter of James, just five chapters, 108 verses. Um, it's uh, probably one of the most practical books in the Bible. I said in my email, it is the oldest book in the New Testament, in the New Testament even though it's way at the end. Um, if you look at it in a chronological order, it's one of the earliest written, hence it's written to the Jewish church. James was the bishop of Jerusalem, 
one of the four pillars of the church. You'd got Paul and Peter and James and John. And so, um, um, so it, it's one of those practical books that I think the people of God need, especially in the day and age in which we live. We are living when we're not dead sure what tomorrow. I was in and out of the hospital all week. You, many of you will know that we lost Darren on Friday night, Darren Moore, who was a member of our church here. And, and uh, Darren's only 48. And uh, so it's been a tough old week, and we need to keep praying for the family's funerals here tomorrow at 11 o'clock. And so I've been in and out of the hospital all week, and um, I, uh, and COVID has risen its head again. I'm here and meeting people in the corridor, not allowed into wards because COVID's up. I got a text from someone this morning, a family this morning, said they couldn't come because it all test, tested positive for COVID. So here we go again. And uh, so... Uh, we, we live, in, we live in, a, in a day and age when we don't really know what tomorrow holds in this supposedly post-COVID world. And in times like these, I think the question needs to be asked, how should we, as followers of Jesus, respond during these unusual um, times, these unusual uncertain times? Now, what I'm going to do, Dave's going to follow on next week and jump into um, James 1. I'm sort of giving you a broad brush stroke of it, like I do in my devotions. I'm going to give you a sort of an intro to James and whet your appetite. I hope you maybe got watching the little video. If you didn't, on my email, there's a link. It's an eight-minute video by the Bible Project guys, and they're geniuses. Um, Tim Mackey calls himself a Bible nerd, and that's exactly what he is. He's pretty incredible, but that's on my email. If you want to go and find that link, it's pretty awesome just to get you the whole idea of the book of James, which is very good. Um, so in the book of James, we have this reminder, of course, that when trials, the trials are certain, they come. Um, you didn't need me to come, this little man with very little her. We didn't need him to come this morning and tell you that trials and tribulations will come in your life. They will. And James is saying that, James endorsing that in the first chapter. He says they'll come in all shapes and sizes, and, but joy is possible in the midst of those, all right? Uh, as we begin to recognize, actually, and even in the midst of trials and tribulations, that God's purpose and provision um, can be found in the midst of trials, in the worst of trials. And we're made very quickly aware, when we study James, we're made very quickly aware of the fact that God's Word was given to us not to that our knowledge might increase, but rather that our lives might be changed, all right? Um, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, knowledge puffs up, the Spirit gives life. And so he didn't come, the Bible's not there to increase our knowledge, the Bible's there to change our lives, and that's really important. And so the emphasis of the book of James is not on becoming Christians, but rather on behaving as Christians. That's what the whole uh, narrative is about in the book of James. And we see James teaching on the use of the tongue. So this is our little summer series that we run right through to the end of... Um, oh, and I'll have to introduce you to James. Here he is, especially if you're watching Chosen. This is the authentic James. Now, this is not... If you, anybody watched Chosen? Anybody watched it? This is not big James. Not big James. Remember, Jesus referred to big James. That's James and John, the sons of Alphaeus. This is James, the brother um, of the Lord Jesus. So he's Jesus' um, little brother. And uh, so we will see him teaching on the use of and abuse of the tongue. We'll see that 
He says, it's really wrong that out of the same mouth, at the same period of time, should come words that heal and words that curse. This shouldn't be, he says, or if you're tempted to play favorites, especially when it comes to church, James 2 is going to be distinctly uncomfortable for you. All right, We will see that um, in the book, we'll see that when faith doesn't correspond with love, James has a problem with that. We'll see that um, he has a problem whenever doctrine, no matter how orthodox and authentic, isn't related to the living of your life. James is going to present us with a problem with that. Um, we will see that whenever we're tempted to settle down and live the easy life, the self-centered Christian experience, and ignore the social and material needs of other people, then James is going to issue a bit of a problem with that. Or whenever your conduct doesn't match your creed um, uh, that we declare. And these five chapters, these some 108 verses, have something to say that I think if we would disregard, it would be at our peril. All right? So um, what you'll find, I, I, I said to you that if you, in my email, I said if you read the book of James, you could do it in my speed at 17 minutes. Some people told me this morning you did it quicker. Well done. I'm a slow reader, but um, it's not a big book, all right? 17 minutes at my speed. We'll read all five chapters. I've read it many, many times, and I've tried to count the punchy, there's, he, he's full of punch, he's full of little statements that just sort of punch you, some of them just punch you right square in the nose, and you'll find them, of a few of them even in the first chapter, in verse 5, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God. Punchy statement right away, he's right in there, he's saying, my brothers, take note of this, that little phrase, take note of this, he said, I want you to listen, I want you to listen up, and then of course, verse 26, sorry for being so blunt, he says, I want you to shut up, you know, be careful how you use your tongue. And, um, and uh, if your lips should keep with slip from slips, five things observe with care, of whom you speak, to whom you speak, and why and when and where. My mom taught me that. Um, so there we go. So, uh, and then, of course, in chapter 2, he talks about favoritism. And on and on it goes. There's loads of, in around 60, you'll find a few. And if you find a few more, please let me know. So... My prayer is and my dream that for this series is that we will become people known for our passion for the book, that our passion for the book will grow, that something will happen in our lives that um, when we encounter people, we will say, this, this, this is the antidote for life. So you need more joy? Well, I have something for you in this book. You need more hope? Well, I have something for you in this book. You need more joy or, or, or more peace? Well, it's in this book. You need saved? Well, uh, good news for you, it's in this book. And I pray that our passion and our commitment for this book will be not just knowing it, but believing it. Remember, I say it all the time. You've heard me say it many times, John 8, 32. It's not the truth that sets you free. It's your knowledge of the truth. You shall know the truth. We say, oh, the truth sets you free. Well, the truth is no good if it's just there, if it's just sitting there. If it's a Bible on the sideboard, it ain't going to do no good. I went to visit Jim Richardson, and Jim's 92. And I went to visit Jim just before I went to Israel and... and um, Jim went to get up off the settee and he kept falling back into the settee. And I said, Jim, where's your walking stick? He says, Phyllis, in the hall. And I said, Jim, a walking stick in the hall is like a Bible on the shelf. I had a good laugh at that. 
and that's true. It's of no benefit. All right, so it's the knowledge of the truth that sets you free. And so my prayer is that we will become known that people who are passionate about their love, not just for God, but for his word, all right? When people say, I love God and I love Jesus, but they don't, haven't been reading the word, then there's a little contradiction of that. And I know people who say things like this, say, uh, like they, they, they say, silly, you can't just cherry pick attributes of God that you like and leave the others. You can't do that, all right? So I hear people saying sometimes, well, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. I, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's like saying to me, um, I love you, Philip, but I can't stand your wife. Sorry, Lorraine. Um, now, you can think it, but you better not say it, all right? Um, or you'd say, Phil, I really like you, and I'd love you and the kids all to come over for lunch, but I don't, I, don't want you to bring, I don't want you to bring your wife. I don't want you to bring the rain. Now, what's going to happen there? You know what's going to happen. Or I'd love to go on holiday with you and your family. Just don't bring her. Because um, you see, the problem with that is if you really love me, because if you do really love me, you will really know that for to know me is to know that I love her unconditionally. And she's uh, uh, a sort of instricably tied into my life. So you get me, you get her. And so this is a little bit silly when we say, well, I love this part of Jesus, but I can't stand this other part of Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body. You can't decapitate him, all right? You can't say, I love him, but I don't love his body. It just doesn't work like that. That's like saying, Jesus, I'd like to spend time with you, but I don't want to spend time with your bride. I'd like you over for dinner, but leave her at home. You can't do it, all right? So there's something about the church, Jesus. Paul writes and he tells husbands to love their wives in Ephesians 5, and he says, as Christ loved the church and give himself for her. And I love the church. I make no apology to it. I love you and I love your church. And I love all the warts and bumps because we've all got them, all right? We've all got issues. And if you're going to lock yourself away from issues, you may just build a big castle and pull up the drawbar because you ain't going out then. All right, so um, what I'm saying is we've we got to get into this book and we've got to be passionate people of God for God and for the world. That's what James is all about. And the problem with the 21st century, and I hope I don't get myself in trouble this morning, but I've already said it anyway, so I'll just say it again. Um, the problem with the 21st century that I see and in the world today is people, are, there's, a, there's a million ideas at the touch of a button. And people are so passionate about things that they don't even know. And my problem is that people aren't willing to walk things out. And so we have like cheap activism, like Facebook um, activism or keyboard, keyboard warriors, we would call them. And so, because you see, here's the, here, we live in a society where it's easier to make a post than make a difference. It's easier to make a post than make a difference. And so the thing is, um, my, my, whenever I was growing up, the old brethren, preachers used to say, Phil, you need to put some shoe leather to it. What they were saying is you need to walk it out. You need to walk it out. You need to, and so in, in other words, he's saying, take these lofty concepts and ideas that are all in here, up here, and actually walk them out and get your hands and your feet dirty because I value what's on your banner, he's saying, but I'm struggling to see it on your actions. And so, and, and we hear it all the time. We hear the, the, the big abortion activist online, and I get it. I'm in there. I'm totally in there, all right? or on Facebook, but I, I, my, my, my thing is, are we mentoring any teenage girls? 
Are we, are we coming alongside any girls that are most acceptable and susceptible to the reality of abortion and offering an alternative? Are we coming alongside families that are trying to adopt? I'm not saying that everybody needs to adopt, by the way, but everybody needs to help in that process, people who are adopted and people who are adopting. And James says, James is saying, you don't get to be cheap seat Christians. You don't get to be cheap seat Christians. We need the gospel lived out kind of faith, which without works is dead. And James is saying, I want to see the gospel, not just in your lips and not just in your heart. I want to see it in your hands and in your feet. I want to see some shoe leather on it. All right? And he's basically what he's saying, I can read your banner okay. I just am struggling to see it working out in the activity. Now, some people say that old James here, he isn't really about the gospel because it's all about works, and I completely, absolutely disagree to that because James is most assuredly about the gospel. He just wants to see it live leather out. It's a shoe leather book, <laughs> all right? It's a shoe leather book. So basically what he's saying, I want this to take root in your life that comes into your bones and pushes you out into society, that it comes in first and then it pushes its way out. So James basically is a marathon of the soul and not a sprint of the flesh. Now, I've never ran a marathon, and I'd say there's a high risk. I probably never will, all right? But I have read about marathons, and I've talked to people who have run marathons, and a good metaphor of a marathon is a bit like a slow cooker rather than a microwave, all right? You've got to be in it for the long haul. I, I read actually yesterday, it's 26.2 miles. I didn't know that. That point two is bound to make some difference, isn't it? 26.2 miles. And, um, and so basically, um, basically, God hasn't called us to do better. He's called us to be better. All right? And there's a big difference. The gospel is not about what you do. The gospel is about what Christ has done. Now, I feel like I'm contradicting myself here because James is all about works. But listen to me. Get this really important. Jesus is inviting us to become more like him. That's what the whole scripture is about. Inviting us to be more like him. And then as we become more like him, what we become then shapes what we do. Did you get that? Okay. So what we, if we become more like him. And as we become more like him, it shapes us and pushes us in to what we should do. So the, the works comes out of our faith. The works comes out of the reality of the relationship, all right? The problem is you can do and never become. And you can have all the right stuff, show up in all the right places, do all the right activities for all the wrong reasons, and your hand can be dusted with the gold of sacrifice and you, the, the heart be a dark, cold field of self-centeredness and self-righteousness. Now, a couple of points, three points really quickly. Here's the first one. It's a long road to faithfulness. It's a long road, all right? Now, and watch this. This is really important, all right? I'm going to fire you three points, and I don't know what we're going to do after that. All right? Um, so, it's a long road to faithfulness. And here's some advice from somebody who is a little older. I'm not the oldest in here, but I'm in the category, I imagine, all right? Um, slow down. Slow down. Slow down. James is saying, I want to sit with you that you might experience the fullness of all that I have. We're, we're living in this society. That's everything. You know, we even complain if we don't get through McDonald's quick enough. That's like everything's speed. Everything's, 
you know, we live in that society. We go to, we can't stand in a queue now waiting on, a, on, on someone to tend us. We have to go in where there's 10 machines that can't talk to us or anything, and you have to wave your thing in front of it. And honest to goodness, what the heck's that all about? And, uh, and people just need to slow down. We need to slow down, slow down. Don't let your flesh get ahead of you, James is saying. And I feel that's like the undertone of what he's saying, because here's my third point. He's saying, it's, I don't know what we're going to do now after this. It's a marathon of the soul. It's a marathon of the soul. Pace yourself, lest you become a great performer and have no relationship. Now, I have a confession to make. And my confession to you is this, and I've asked for repentance. My confession to you is that I was this soldier at the beginning of this year. I was running an empty about February, March time, and felt like I wasn't really hearing God. I was regurgitating old messages and trying to get life in them. And I tell you, it didn't feel like fun up here. The worst place in the world is when you're standing up here and you're not hearing the voice of God. Dave, is that right? So true. And um, it's scary. And so I took the month of May off and I repented of that. And I repented of being a performer and not being a, a hearer. And I'm repenting to you and asking for your forgiveness for that. Now here's the thing. You've got to forgive me anyway, so there you go. And <clears throat> that's what Christians do. Um, in, in the place called Gary in Indiana, in the early 70s, some of the older ones in here will remember this, Joseph Jackson would be found rushing home. And he was rushing home with his excitement would overwhelm him. And they said he would come home and he would get into his living room and he would push all the furniture out against the walls and he gathered his boys to perform who would ultimately become the Jackson Five. Um, and they would start doing their steps. Don't worry, I won't practice any. And they would practice their steps and they would get their notes and they would get their moves and they had it down to a T. They had their moves, they had their steps, they had their songs, they had their notes. And he was, Joe was relentless in his perfection. As a matter of fact, they said it was a common image that Joe Jackson, being relentless in his put, uh, pursuit for perfection, would, would do this with a belt in one hand. And uh, because with Joe... If you missed a step, he would punish you significantly with the belt for missing a step. And he created one of the greatest performing groups of all times. Now, I, you can watch this online. Michael Jackson, you can YouTube this. Michael Jackson did an interview with Martin um, Bashir in the early 2000s. And he was talking about the early days. And it's painful to watch. It's painful to watch because you can detect the pain in Michael Jackson's eyes. And if you don't notice it in his eyes, you'll definitely pick it up in his speech. Because never once in the interview does he call Joe Jackson father or dad. He refers to him as Joe or Joseph. And, um, and the thing was, ultimately, he became one of the greatest performers, they say, that ever lived. But one of the greatest things he ever longed for was a relationship with his father. But he never knew that intimacy. Uh, he knew the power of the stage, and he could give you the steps, and he could give you the moves, and he could give you the notes, but he never knew his father, never had a relationship with his father. And here's the thing. 
The thing is, it is a marathon of the soul. It is a long road to faithfulness. We need to slow down. We need to get this right because it's a marathon of the soul. Lest you learn the steps of religion, lest you get the moves of religion, you learn the notes of religion, but you never know the Father. And the Father, the Father of your soul didn't invite you to become a great performer. Jesus did not die on the cross to make you a great performer. He died on the cross so that you might have a heavenly relationship with the Father. So don't miss the relationship. This is what James is saying. Don't miss the intimate connection because you're so busy trying to perform. Now, I'm going to get myself in trouble again, I imagine. But here goes. Um, be careful. Be careful of this church thing. Be careful of this Christianity thing, right? If you mess around with what I would call a bad brand of Christianity, an off-brand of Christianity, anybody remember Yellow Packs? Remember Yellow Packs? Oh, man. Any wonder those things didn't take off? Like, did you ever taste the fig rolls? They were disgusting. Like, it's just against, it's against, it's just, just against, it's just ungodly, making bad fig rolls. Um, God will judge them for that. And, uh, but I'm telling you to be careful out there because there are brands of Christi- Christianity that are so close to the original, but they're a little off because they'll have you all about attendance. They'll have you all about performance. They'll be, have you all about how you look and what you were. And as long as you turn up, it really doesn't matter how you live. And that's wrong. And Paul, when he writes to young Timothy, he said they have a form of godliness, but they actually deny the power of it. And uh, your behavior, they talk about this, what you do and what you don't do. You don't do this and you don't do that. God is not consumed with what you do. First and foremost, God is consumed with who you are. He's consumed with the relationship because it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So when your heart's right, then the mouth is right. When the, when the heart's right, everything else starts to get right. And this is what James is all about. He's saying faith without works is dead, but it's got to come from the inside out, not from the outside in. You've got to get it right in here. I was uh, at a church lately, and a young couple came to talk to me, and we were... We were um, I spoke a little bit about choosing idols instead of the real God, and they came to talk to me about sex outside of marriage. What was my view on sex outside of marriage? And so I was showing them um, because they were asking a silly question. They were asking something to try and justify it and trying to bend the rules. And one of the guys said to me, "But sorry for you, you're married." And I said, "Hold on a minute. My wife died after 27 years, and I had to learn how to love and date again." Um, so I understand this. I understand the principle. I understand it's not easy, but um, I was showing them that the act is but a symptom of the real problem. And I, I, let me explain that because, and they said to me, what does that mean? And I said, well, the real problem is, is that you're not trusting God with your sexuality. That's the problem. You're, you're saying, God, I, I, I want to honor you with everything, but then you're saying, I don't trust you enough in this season of life that I find myself in. And so what you do is you go outside of what has been provided for you and you start to provide for yourself. That's what that's doing. You step out of what God has provided for you at this season of time and you start to provide for yourself. And what happens with that when you start providing for yourself, you start 
You start paying yourself wages. The wages of sin is death. We know that passage, don't we, in Romans 6. The wages of sin is death. And so what happens is the wages, the wages, the wages is something. There's a payment. And so every time we sin, there's a payment for sin. And the payment is death. So every time we sin, there's a payment for it. There's a payment is met out. All right? So in other words, sin is going to pay you a payment. And the payment reads death. And he makes those payments every month on time. And the thing about it is, he says, here's death. It pays death to your soul. And you wonder why you're in church and you're singing all the songs and doing all the things right, but inside your soul's dying. And the reason is, the wonder is because you've got all the steps right, you're making all the moves, you've got everything right, but your soul is dying and you're getting a consistent payment for, for sin because you keep employing sin in your life instead of employing God. They're all deafeningly silent. That's what happens. That when, 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 we, when we fool around with sin, we get the payment and it brings death to our soul. And the only thing that can give life to our soul is God. And we live in right relationship with God when we live in that season. And so the idea of slowing down this marathon that is... I'll, I'll lift that tenor in case somebody texts it. Um, it's, 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 a, it's not about your performance. It's about your surrender, you see. It's a long road to faithfulness, all right? And um, it's going to take you some time to get there, but the obedience doesn't come with abuse like Joe Jackson. It comes from adoration. It comes from saying, God, we know you're good. We love you. We love your faithfulness. We love your grace. We love your consistency in our life. We see your promises and your plans in our life. We surrender, Lord, and we say, yes, we bring our flesh under subjection. We bring our mind under subjection. We're obedient to you, God, not because you're abusive and I'm going to be scared that you punish us, but we're coming under obedience because you're good. And if I'm going to have to be obedient to something or someone, I might as well be obedient to the one that died for me. And uh, so what are you going to be obedient to? Are you going to be obedient to Jesus? Or are you going to be obedient to pornography? Are you going to be obedient to Jesus? Are you going to be, be, be obedient to alcohol? Are you going to be obedient to Jesus? Are you going to be obedient to gossip and slander? Because one of them you're going to say yes to. And uh, which one is it going to be? And if you're going to be obedient to someone, why not say yes to the one that's already said yes to you? I think this is what Paul was meaning when he said, he says, I grab hold of that which has, grabbed, has taken hold of me. So basically, you get the image of, of Paul going and us going a different direction and God's got a hold of us but we're going a different direction and there comes that moment in life when we realize we've got to turn around and grab hold of what has already grabbed hold of us. That's a great moment in life. And that's what I think James is all about. All right? Now, um, one other thing just to bring this into land and then we're going to pray. All right? Here's a little thing about James in uh, when we read in John 7, verse 5, it says this. This is the word that says exactly. Jesus' brothers didn't, didn't believe in him. There was one occasion, actually, when Jesus was ministering in an area that the brothers and the mother arrived to take him by force because he was just embarrassing them. They just didn't believe him. They didn't get it. This is, this is our brother. This is, and he thinks he's the Messiah. He's lost the plot. 
So his brothers didn't believe in him. And then, as I say, you have now this letter from the bishop of Jerusalem, one of the four pillars of the church in Jerusalem, and James didn't even initially believe it. He, he talks about this idea of the long road of faithfulness, and the reason he talks about it is because he gets the idea of patience. He knows what he's talking about because he says, he was my brother, and I didn't believe it. And... Uh, the idea of a taking time is, is really important. He didn't do anything with it. He heard it, and he did nothing with it. And so he knows what it's like for grace to take time to do its work. And for some of us, grace comes quickly, and change comes quickly. For others, grace has got to sit on us for a while. And I said this in the first service. I said again, Christians, I believe, understand the power of grace to get saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. But they have no clue that we need grace to live. You forgot about you forgot about how you got saved. And the grace that saves you is the grace that keeps you. And so you've got to understand that this grace is fuel to live on. And all of the New Testament, if you go to the book of Galatians, what does he say in, in, in the first few verses of chapter three? Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That you would think that you could start by grace and start by the Spirit, and now you're trying to live it and work it out yourself? The whole book of Hebrews literally is written to, 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 to tell them to stop going back to their wayward ways of trying to work it out themselves. Live by grace. Save by grace. Live by grace. Believers don't understand how to live by grace. And so it, it, it took a little longer to get to that place of yes, Lord, for James. And so he understands us. Now, um, let, let, me, let me talk to you about this for a minute or two because I, and I'm really trying to tell you what's going on in my head. I, I've always struggled with this idea here because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's writing about resurrection, right? And he says, Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. Then he appeared to Cephas, then to twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of who are still alive and some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Why did the Bible, why did the Holy Spirit want us to know that Jesus would appear individually and privately to his little brother James? Now, my head goes here sometimes, and Laurie keeps telling me I'm a strange being, but she loves me. And, um, and I, I, I learned when I was young to ask questions. So I've always been good at asking God questions. So for instance, in John 2, when Jesus turns up at the wedding of Cana on the third day, I want to know why. Why did the Holy Spirit tell us that specific detail? Why did he not say he just came to a wedding? Or why did he not just say he came to a wedding late? Why, why did he say he came on the third day? Now there's a good one for you. That's a brilliant study. And it'll wow you. But that's for another time, sorry. Um, and loads of little things like that. The Bible's full of little things like that that I think we miss if we don't ask questions. So when I read this, I thought, why James? Why did he appear to his wee brother? Why did he come and appear to his wee brother? And I was laying in bed thinking about this for nights after night, and I would wake and thinking about it, and I was asking God, why did he do that? Now, um, and then all of a sudden, I was so glad Tash started with Luke 15. I started to read the story of the prodigal son, which had two brothers, a big brother and a little brother. Big brother and a little brother. And, um, and it's a kind of a weird ending to that story. I'm sure you'll know it. It's a weird ending with an angry elder brother, and we never really know the outcome. And, um, 
And the story of the prodigal is the younger brother tells the father, so basically what I'm saying, this passage helped me relate to the story of the prodigal and helped me see something about the gospel that I'd never seen before that I think can really bless you, all right? And this is what I think James is trying to tell us this morning. That all right, you all with me so far? Okay. So the younger brother, he comes to his dad and he says, I want my inheritance, so I want it now. And the father gives him an inheritance, you know the story, um, and he squanders it, loses it all, decides to come back. When he comes back, the father runs to meet him, gives him a ring and a robe and a fat calf for a party. They throw a party, and the elder brother is sitting outside, coming in from the field, saying, what the, what's the noise all about? And somebody says, haven't you heard? Your brother was lost, and he's been found, and, and he's come home, and we're throwing a party for him. And the elder brother's angry. Do you ever wonder why he was angry? I have wondered why I was angry. Well, well, here's, here's why. Here's why. Um, in order for the younger brother to get his inheritance, the older brother had to get his inheritance as well. It's the only way it could have worked. So when the younger brother says, I want my inheritance, the father had to divide it in two. So basically, the stocks were liquidated from the father. The older brother was given his inheritance, and the younger brother was given his inheritance. And that's the way it was. The younger brother goes off and he spends all his inheritance, he blows a whole lot on filthy, riotous living, right? And uh, he, um, uh, and then he arrives back. And uh, so when the younger brother comes back broke and dad kills the big fat calf, let me ask you, who, who do you think was paying for that? <laughs> who was paying for that fatted calf? Who was paying for the ring? Who paid for the robe? Well, I'll tell you who was praying for it. The elder brother was praying for it. Because there was only two inheritances. And this guy had squandered all his. So it had to come out of this. So the elder brother's angry. He's saying, it's costing me to have you back. It's actually costing me money to have you home. And I'm not happy about that. And, and you've gone away. You're raddest living. You've blown your whole money on raddest living and filthy living. And now you're back. And I'm paying for your sacrifices. It's just not right. And it wasn't right. I'm paying for your waywardness. You're back. And it's literally costing me to catch this now. Jesus actually leaves the story there with a disgruntled elder brother who's refusing to pay the price for his younger brother to come home. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, I'll be that elder brother. I will go. I will pay the cost for all of my brothers and sisters to come home. And when he does... He puts on his resurrected body. He goes and he finds James. And he says, James, I paid the price for you so that you can come home. It costs me everything so you can have everything. And that's the only way it works. And so, folks, this morning, let me introduce you to the perfect elder brother. He's not angry because you've squandered your living He's not angry because you were born in sin and shape and iniquity. He's not angry that you've spent all your money and all your stuff and riotous living. And he's willing to pay the sacrifice for it all. And he's already done it. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Pretty awesome. And, um, and here's why... Oh, sorry. This is the tax for today. I should have started with this. Um, but we'll get to it at the end. James calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you ever think there's something interesting of the way he introduced himself, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ? Like he doesn't say that he's my big brother. 
Even Paul, when he introduces himself, he calls himself a servant of Christ and an apostle of the church. Even Paul does a little bit of a title drop. But I think James is thinking here, after what my big brother did for me, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, and that's all I am. And he uses this idea, he's he's essentially saying, I no longer look at my brother the way I once did. And he calls him Lord. It's actually, if you, in the New Testament, when you read the word Lord in bold letter or in, in big letters, it's the word Yahweh. They've, they've translated it from the Old Testament into the New Testament as Yahweh. When he calls him Lord here, he's calling him Yahweh. Pretty awesome, isn't it? And wherever you find Lord in the New Testament, it's not an expression of devotion. It's a, it's a designation of identity. He's identifying him as Yahweh. This is who my brother was. He's Yahweh. He was Jesus, Joshua, the God of salvation. God is Savior. He is the Messiah, Christ, the anointed one. So he says, James, a servant of God and of Yahweh, my Savior and the Messiah. After he said that, he doesn't need to say he's my big brother. And nor do you. And so the thing as we come to this, I guess what I want you to understand as we dive into the book of James is he's worthy of all of obedience just because of who he is. The Lord Jesus Christ, your perfect elder brother. Beautiful, isn't it? Holly's going to come. I'd love us just to pray. Um, I think Holly's going to come. Um, if not, I, you're stuck with me and the guitar, and that's in trouble. Um, there she is. <laughs> so uh, I'd, love us, I'd love you just to bow your heads, and we've finished, but I'd love, I'd love to pray for you. Tash started off with um, the lost sheep, and she started off with people entangled. And, you know, life is a way of doing that. And as I said, I got tied up in that at the beginning of the year. I got tired and overwhelmed and felt like I wasn't functioning properly and had to take some time out to and, and the, the, the problem is sometimes when we take time out we just get so busy in our times out but God's looking us to take time out with him time out to, to, to reconnect to get that relationship right to say God I, I, I am running a bit of my own steam I am doing a bit of performance here and I do think I've, 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 I've worked out the notes and the steps just to keep functioning but I'm actually missing the heart of relationship. And if that's you this morning, just with heads bowed, I'd love you to jump to your feet because I'd love to pray for you quickly before I get everybody to stand and we sing a song. But if you're saying this morning, just, I'd love to reconnect with God this morning. I'd love to reconnect that intimacy again. I'd love to come back from performance or from tiredness or from waywardness. If that's you, let's stand and let's just, I'd love us to pray this morning. Beautiful. It's just so easy. It's so easy to get tied into it. It's so easy just to, to, to go your own way, just to try and, and, as I say, the New Testament is full of it. All of the epistles are full of the challenge. Get back. Get back to relationship. Get back to relationship. Get back to relationship. 
God, just for those standing in the room today, just now in this moment of stillness, thank you for the response. Thank you for the heart that says, I want you, God. You know, I hear people say to me sometimes, I just love, I'd love more of a heart for the lost. And I always say to them, well, you wouldn't be saying that if you didn't have one. And the very fact for you standing this morning, you're saying, I I, I just want more. And God hears that. He hears the cry of that heart. And you put shoe leather to it. You're on your feet. So you put shoe leather to it. And it's this idea of saying, God, more of you, more of you, more of you. Less of me, more of you. Less performance, less of the notes of religion, less of the moves of religion, and more of you. So God, I just pray that you would grant that to every person right now on their feet. God, would you just minister your strength and your power and your anointing into every heart, we pray. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.